morning. As you're turning there, we'll kind of recap a little bit of what we talked about a couple weeks ago. Um, what we talked about was the exceeding greatness of the very power of God and how Paul, whenever he was writing the letter to the church of Ephesus, the, the one thing that he was praying for, one of a few different things, was that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened to what is the exceeding greatness of the power of God that he has towards us who believe. The exceeding greatness of the very power of God that God wants to exercise in our lives is just an amazing thought to be had. And um, hopefully last, within I guess two weeks ago, whenever we had the realization, maybe the eyes of our understanding have been kind of opened to, to an understanding about the very power of God and how it can be used in and through us. And, um, and how we need to use that to, um, to live our lives according to the will and purpose of the call of God in our lives in order to live a godly life. You know, as we, um, as we looked at the exceeding greatness of the power of God and how it was used towards us, it was used towards us very similar to the way it was used in raising Jesus Christ from the dead and exalting him to sit in heavenly places. We found out in Ephesians chapter 2 that the exceeding greatness of God towards us who, as believers whenever we were dead in our trespasses and sin, we were brought to life through, um, through putting our faith and trust in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And we were raised to a newness of life and given eternal life. Our sins were forgiven and we were given an eternal home. The exceeding greatness of the power of God was exercised to everyone who believed in that very instance. We're not talking about a little power. We're talking about an incredible amount of power according to the working of his power. Now what we also saw is that we were exalted to sit in heavenly places. We were sealed with the very Holy Spirit, which tells us that the very power of God that saved us, that brought us to life, is the same power that holds us and keeps us saved, and we are sealed until the day of redemption. The exceeding greatness of the power of God towards us is an amazing thing. Y'all think it's amazing. It's, it's an amazing thought. I mean, it's, it's a, an amazing revelation that, and, um, and, a, and a discovery that was made in the Word of God to me a couple weeks ago that that exceeding greatness of the power of God is being used on those who believe in Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. But also believe that as we live our lives and we are, are trying to answer the call to live a godly lifestyle, a life of complete and total godliness, and trying to please God with the lives that we live, I believe that we need the very power of God to do that. I don't believe that's something that we can do in our own power. In Ephesians chapter 2, we also learned that, that, um, that he has a work for us that has been laid out before us. We have a blueprint of our lives that God would have us to follow. And that blueprint that, that has been laid out in front of us, I believe truly, if we were to kind of look at it, you know, without looking at the decisions we made to veer us off of that perfect plan and to see the amazing power that God could use in and through our lives, I believe that we would be completely and totally amazed with what God would want to do with us. And also in, and also in, in planning out that, uh, that life, the, the road that we're supposed to take, the path that we're supposed to walk down, you know, we really got to ask the question, when it comes to the very power of God, do you think that God really considered your weaknesses whenever he was plotting out your life? Do you think that was a consideration that he had, was your weaknesses? Or do you think he more so considered his power that would be available to you? What do you think was most considered? 
I'm really, I don't think God's so much concerned with our weaknesses. Yes, we do have them. We do have our weaknesses. And I believe that God calls us to, to live a life that's far and above and beyond what our weaknesses would hold us back from doing. I believe he's created us in certain ways with certain abilities and certain talents for us to use and to, and to bring honor and, glorify and glory, to, glory to God. But I believe, when, I believe whenever it comes to charting out the path that he wants us to walk, he considers the very power that he has in order to make you walk that walk. I truly believe that he doesn't call us to do anything that is not, um, uh, that is not possible to do with the power of the Holy Spirit and going through and, 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 and doing the things that he has called us to do. So today we're going to be talking about the power to live godly. So the power to live godly is where we're going to be this morning. As we look in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, we'll start in verse 1. And we'll, we'll get down to verse 3, and then we'll stop there. It says, To those who have been well, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ, our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. It says, uh, it says, as his divine power. Now, what is that divine power? Remember, this is a power that's beyond the natural forces of our universe. It's beyond the, um, the natural world. It's beyond anything that we could possibly find in our natural world. This is a divine power that has been given to us all things. That this divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Given us all things. So are we fully and truly equipped to do what God has called us to do? Absolutely, because the very divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So when it comes to living a godly life, what we're going to talk about this morning, before we get too far, is we really need to kind of have a, a defining of terms here. There we go, and am I fighting you? Right, one more. Well, that kind of looks good. Okay. All right, so the, God, the godliness, by, by definition, now what does it mean to live a godly life? What does godliness truly mean? Well, we're going to be very basic in the message this morning. It's going to be very, very basic truths that you're going to find. But what I, what I want you to understand, what living a godly life is not, is not to be God-like, okay? It's not to be like God as a divine creature or a, divine, or a, or a divinity. It's not to be God-like, but it's actually it's just as basic as it could be in the sense of it's a constant God-consciousness. Now, this message this morning, I want you to understand, this, this presumes a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It presumes salvation for you this morning. Those of you who have put your faith and trust in Christ, and you are seeking to follow the will of God and living a life of godliness. And what it does for us is what we need to have an understanding whenever we're living our lives, and when we're going through our workplace and living within our homes and in the presence of our family and our church family, we need to have a constant awareness of God. Or we need to have a continual consideration of God. Whenever we're making decisions or whenever we're making choices, we really need to consider what God would have me to do in this certain, certain situation. So it's really a, a very basic thing about it is just to, is to um, have an understanding that God needs to be considered 
when we're living our lives? How would he truly want me to do, um, to, to perform and to behave in this certain situation? It's a constant God consciousness. Now, if you will turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11 real quick. I believe that Moses is very gives us a very good example of what that actually means. And he kind of defines it a little bit better. And I know that we've been, we've been here before um, in the past, but I want us to kind of recap a little bit, and I'll try not to chase any rabbits because there's a lot of good preaching here. But in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 24, where it starts to talk, to talk about Moses, it says, By faith Moses, whenever he became of age, he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So there's a lot that we could actually unpack in this. But we may briefly just kind of go over this for a second. Now remember, living a godly life, living godliness as a Christian, we need to have a constant God awareness, a constant consideration and allow God to really weigh in on the decisions that we're making. Let God weigh in on what we are going to do and how we're going to behave. It says, but by faith, Moses, whenever he became of age, he refused. He refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. He had the option, did he not? He had the option to live a life, in a, in, 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 to live a life that would give him all the luxuries that this possible world could possibly give him. He had the option of living a life of luxury and, and living a life of royalty by claiming to be the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, but yet he refused to do that. He said, look, I don't want to have any part of it. But I also want you to understand in this situation, he didn't just choose to say, look, I'm not going to have any part of it and just remain neutral, did he? He didn't just remain neutral. He didn't just say, look, I'm, just, I'm backing away from that and then just kind of going on with his life. Because we understand that he escaped and he also found a wife and then he was out in the wilderness and he could have lived his life there very comfortably, very simple life. But he then, he goes on to tell us again in verse 25, it says, but he chose. He was choosing rather to suffer the affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. So he refused Egypt. He refused to take his place on the throne as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, he refused to be the prince of Egypt, removing himself from that, but yet an act of choice to say, I'm going to do what God wants me to do. When God called him in the wilderness and said, look, I need you to go let my people go. I need you to go lead my people out. I need you to lead my people out because you, whenever you do, you're going to meet with me again on this mountain and you're going to worship me here and then I'm going to lead you all into the promised land. So whenever God told him that, he made a conscious decision. He chose to go back to Egypt as a spokesman for the children of Israel, knowing that he was going to suffer, he's going to have to suffer the affliction with God's people. So he made a willful choice to do so. And the reason why he did that in verse 26 is that he is esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures in Egypt. I want you to understand, during the time that he was going back and forth with Pharaoh, it was not an easy time. It was something that was very difficult, something that, was, that took guts. It took, it took faith in what God was saying. But what he did, it says that, it said he, that he, um, he esteemed the reproach of Christ's riches to be greater than what Egypt had to offer. He had an understanding of what God was offering was something better than what Egypt had to offer. 
So he esteemed the riches, the, the Christ's riches were far better. It says, for he looked to the reward. It was something that he hadn't gained yet, obviously. It's something that he wasn't able to claim at that very moment, but he trusted Christ. He trusted God in what he had said. If you will just be obedient and move forward and do what I've told you to do, he looked for the reward that was going to come in the future. Now, verse 27 is where we're going to be. It says, but he, it says, by, by faith, by faith, he forsook Egypt. Now, I've said this time and again, and I want you to understand what faith truly is. What is faith? Faith is not believing without evidence. Okay, that's not what it is. Faith is not that. Okay, New Testament faith is not just believing without evidence. It's not living your life with blindfolds on and just saying, well, God's just going to take care of everything. No, living your life by faith requires that you hear from the Word of God and that you're obedient to it and you trust him with the results. That's what living by faith truly is. Because did, did, actually, did, did Moses actually know what he was called to do? Yes, he was very clear, right? Go and get my people free. Go and tell Pharaoh to let my people go and come back and meet me here at this mountain and I'll send you into the promised land. It was very clear on the instruction that Moses had. Now what did he have to do? He had to obey, right? And that's what living by faith is. It's believing God, hearing God, being, being obedient to his word and trusting him for the results is just simple obedience. So by faith, Moses was obedient to the word of God and he forsook Egypt. He forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Now this is how he did this. Now listen, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He endured as seeing him who is invisible. Almost like he's saying if he was, he was imagining if Jesus was walking right next to him the entire time, as if he was there. I may have used this, um, this analogy before, this illustration, but really think about that. I mean, how different would your life truly be if you knew that Jesus was going to be knocking on your door at 6 o'clock every morning saying, all right, it's time to get out and live life. I'm going to be right here with you the entire time. Would your day change? Would your lifestyle be different? If Jesus was to come and knock on your door, say, all right, let's come in. I'll come on in, Jesus, sit down and have a cup of coffee. And then Jesus says, okay, let's talk about our day. This is what we're going to do. Would it look any different? Would living your life as Moses lived, as if you could see him who is invisible, would that make a difference? This is what I'm talking about, this, 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 um, this constant God awareness, this continual consideration of God in our day-to-day -day lives. Would things be different if we, if we could do that? And I would understand that living a godly life requires us to consider God in everything that we do. It requires us to do so. It requires us to live a life as if we could see him who is invisible. Does that make sense? Yes. So going back, to, going back to where we are in this, this is the definition of it, but also there's, some, there's a few details. There's some grounding foundational principles that we really need to adopt if we're going to really see the power of God work in and through our lives. So we really want to see that. If we, want to see, if we want to be able to tap into that power and see the working of God's power in and through our lives. The first thing that we need to do as far as the details are concerned and it may be a little bit redundant according to what we talked about what godliness is as far as being a constant awareness and a constant consideration of God. But we need to recognize the very existence of God. Does that make sense? 
it's really kind of hard for you to consider him in all your ways if you don't first believe in the existence of who he is. And going back to Hebrews chapter 11, and in verse 6, a very, very familiar verse is, but without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. If you're going to come to God, you must first believe that he truly is, that there is a God, there is a great God and creator. But not only is there a God, but is there, is, is there any greatness to this God? We need to understand who God is and truly have a proper perspective of, of who he is. I mean, is, God, is the God of the Bible someone that you really want to follow? We really consider what that truly, truly means whenever we talk about living a godly life. We look at the Word of God and how God has revealed himself and how he is a great God and a creator of all things who created us to have fellowship with him. And yet we have sinned against him and we have gone our own way and then we have fallen and we were dead in our sins and in our trespasses, but yet out of his love, his great love and his great mercy, he reached down to us and his son willingly gave his life to die in our place that we might have a forgiveness of sin, that we might have eternal life, that God who loved us in such a great way and exercised the exceeding greatness of his power in order to resurrect us from the dead, is that the God that we want to submit our lives to? Is that somebody who's worthy of us to submit our lives to and to really recognize his, who he is and the, the kind of God he is and the greatness of, he, of him? Then we also have to ask our question, are we going to put ourselves in subordination under his authority? Now, I want you to understand, whenever it comes to subordination under someone's authority, it's more than just merely voluntarily submitting yourself under someone. Okay, I can submit myself under a two-year-old, the authority of a two-year-old, but there's no way that I would recognize the authority of a two-year-old over my life. So it's more than just that, but it's actually recognizing the superiority of, of the greatness of who God is and then surrendering ourselves under him and saying, God, yes, God, you are worth following. You are the one who, who, who possesses all knowledge and all power. And then and you're the one who, um, who has reached down and saved my life. Therefore, I should live my life according to what you tell me. And we should, we should be submissive to the very direction of God. We should do what he says, doing what he says at all times and at all places. We should be willing to surrender our choices and to consider what God would have us to do in each situation. So it comes, it comes to the point of recognizing that there is a God, an all-powerful God, but also understanding the greatness and surrendering ourselves to the authority of Him. I mean, if truly if God exists, and truly if God is the God of the Bible, as He has revealed to us in Scripture, and we say that that is someone to whom we should submit our lives to, the question is, is, are we living a godly life in order to do that? And I want you to understand, until we come to the point where we say God's way is the best way, you will not come to a point of living a godly lifestyle. If we continue to find ourselves justifying our actions, they go against what God's word teaches us, you're not going to live a godly lifestyle. And therefore, you will never experience the power of God in your life. Because it really boils down to whether or not you are going to be obedient to his word. Not to get too far, but whenever we come into, not to get too far because I, got, I, got I don't want to jump over what I've already got. But our lives, whenever we live in a submission, once we, sub, once we um, live in subordination to his authority and we submit to his direction, 
You know, our life then needs to be a tribute to the very glory of God. And not just in partial areas of our lives, you know, not just while we're here, here at church or while people are looking, but, we, but no matter where we go and what we do, in all of our conversation, in all of our conduct, in all of our behavior, in all, in, during, during our times of prayer and during our times of worship and witness, we need to make sure that we're continually living a life that's going to glorify God. That is, our, that is our calling to do so. And I believe once we do that, I believe that is whenever we will actually see and come to a point where we can see the very power of God working in and through our lives. If we go back to Second Peter again, I know I got you flipping back and forth. But in Second Peter... In verse 3, it says, As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So the divine power giving to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. So where does this power actually come from? Through what? His divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through what? Through the knowledge of him. One, in knowing him personally, Knowing, Jesus, knowing, knowing God the Father through his son Jesus Christ and establishing a personal relationship with him, just knowing him, but also more than just knowing him, but really knowing him, understanding him, learning about him, learning his ways, reading his word, absorbing it, taking it in, and living your life according to it. So not only is the direction in knowledge, but also... In obedience. If we really want to understand the power of God, we really want to experience the power of God in our lives, I don't think you're going to find it anywhere outside of obedience to His Word. And I believe that's really the key whenever it comes to experiencing the very power of God in our lives is, is a straight obedience to what He calls us to do. And then in, in verse 3 it says, that, it says that through the knowledge of Him, and also, if we go back to ver skip over to verse 8, it starts listing all these things that we need to add to our faith. And in verse 8, it says, For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. That is a promise to us. If you do these things, what? You will never stumble. You will live that godly life that we have been called to live. But it demands an obedience from us. It demands obedience. If you want to exercise, if you want the power of God to be, in, to be done in and through you, it requires obedience to the Word of God. My question is, is how can we understand and know what to do without reading the, the book of instruction? Right? How easy is it to operate a piece of machinery if you haven't first read the instructions? Make a difference? My, my question is, is whenever we have, we live in a world, we live in a society today where we have, we have people who are claiming to be Christians, people claiming that they love Jesus, claiming that they grew up in church, claiming that they're living a good life, but yet it's in, contradic but it's in contradiction to what the Word of God says. Do you see that in our, in our world today? Yes, yes, the world is calling evil things good and good things evil. But this is also coming from people who claim to be Christians. 
and they're, they're, either, they're either lost or they're com- completely confused. They're one that's like, like, like what we just wrote, read here in verse 9. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. We live in a world that's calling good evil and evil good, but that's also coming from people who claim to be Christians. Now, why is that? How is that possible? I'm saying they lack a knowledge. It's a lack of knowledge. You know, they claim, they claim, they claim that love is the, this is the thing that we should be exercising, but they have a misunderstanding of what love truly is and what it does and what it's requiring of each and every one of us. But we live in a world that, that people are confused, and I want you to understand that, that, that they're not reading the book. They're not understanding what God has called us to do. They're not understanding the truth of the Word of God. And I want you to understand if you're confused about the truth of the Word of God or if you've got it wrong and you're living your life according to a lie, the power of God is not going to be there. It requires obedience on our part. We must get into the Word of God. We must increase our knowledge of God in order for us to live out the, the will of God in our lives, which is the godly lifestyle. Does that make sense? Yes, we must understand what the Word of God is in order for us to be obedient to it. Now, now you've heard me say over and over this morning that I believe that obedience is what will bring the power of God upon your lives. I don't believe you're going to find the power of God outside of obedience. I certainly don't believe that God will bless his children or exercise his power in disobedience. It's just not going to happen. It's just not the way that he does it. If we go back to the life of Moses, if we go back to the life of Moses, whenever he was called and, he was, and God spoke to him through the burning bush and he said, look, you need to go and get my people out of there. Now, whenever Moses did this, did he experience the very power of God? Yes, over and over and over again. He went to Pharaoh and said, Pharaoh, let my people go. Pharaoh said, no. And what happened? The very power of God showed up with plagues over and over and over again. And as long as Moses was being faithful, and as long as Moses was living his life in obedience to what God had said, he kept going back to Pharaoh, kept going back to Pharaoh. And finally, through the working of the very power of God, through that, Pharaoh finally said, get your people out of here. Get them out. And they went. The question is, is that if Moses had been disobedient, would he have seen that? Would he have experienced that? I don't think so. Whenever they came to the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army was trailing them, and there was certain death for them, and God says, Moses, put your stick in the water. Do you think that that sea would have split open if he'd have been disobedient? No. Do you think it had anything to do with Moses' ability when it came to splitting the, splitting the waters open? Absolutely not. Do you think it had anything to do with Moses taking his stick and putting it in the water that actually made it split, split wide open? Absolutely not. But had he not done that, do you think it would have happened? No, because by faith, he believed God. He said, oh, you tell me to put the stick in the water? Okay, well, let's put the stick in the water. And through his obedience, the power of God was present. Through his obedience, God was willing to work. But I would dare say if he was disobedient, I don't believe he would have experienced any of that. 
And we certainly know if he would have never gone back to Egypt in obedience to God, he would have never seen it. Now, God may have had to raise someone else up, and, and those things still may have, may have happened. But because Moses was the one who was obedient to what God called him to do, Moses was able to experience the very power of God in his life. Now, truly believe that the power of God in our lives as Christians and as believers and I believe that exceeding greatness of the power of God that he will exercise towards us who believe, I believe it is grounded in obedience to his word. I believe it is just that simple. I believe it is just that simple for us to read the word of God and say, God, what would you have me to do? And as he reveals the lifestyle that we should live and the choices that we should make, and as we consider him in all of our ways, and we make decisions and choices considering who God is and what he wants in our lives, then I believe the power of God is going to show up. I truly believe that. But I know where we will not find it. We will not find it in disobedience. Now, do I believe that God will be splitting the, the, the lake, lake de Grey or the, or the river or anything if we throw our stick in the water? No, I don't believe that. But I do believe if we step out in obedience to what, God, to what God has called us to do, I believe that we will be victorious in every place that God wants us to be. I truly believe that. If we will step out in faith and be obedient to what God has called us to do, as impossible as it may seem, I believe that we will be able to experience the very power of God. I mean, how many of you have, have, can, can look back and just see that God's handiwork is done in your life or in the lives of the loved ones behind you? Sure, we can see the handiwork of God. But if you truly want to see it, if you truly want to see it in your lives, it must come from obedience to his will. A lot of us are confused. How many of you are ever confused about what God is calling you to do? Okay, we have a, now I, did, I did a two-part sermon series on that several months ago. I don't know if you all remember. But I did make, it, I did make a statement that God's will usually is pretty pretty easy because it's not about where you go and what you do it's more about who you are it's more about who you are in Christ it's about the person that you are if you're the right person no matter where you go or what you do if you're the right person you'll be in the will of God because what I want you to understand is that 95% it is said by people smarter than me 95% of God's will for your life is found within this book 95% is applicable to every single person. And if I think if you would concentrate on the 95%, the 5% really should work its way out. Does that make sense? So we should have an understanding there that it requires obedience on our part. And I can't stress this enough, that if we want to have an understanding and if our eyes have been enlightened to what is that exceeding greatness of the power of God that he has towards us who believe, that whenever we understand who he is and what he has done and what he is capable of doing and the things that he is calling us to do, it should give us a great confidence to move forward. It should motivate us to the righteousness with a great encouragement. It should motivate us to be steadfast and endure whatever we have to endure in order to be obedient to our calling. It should motivate us to increase our knowledge. And we're going to have to increase our knowledge if we want the access to the very power of God so we can know what he has for us in our lives. But truly when it comes down to it, and we'll conclude with this, when it comes down to it, living a godly lifestyle means big changes. It really does mean big changes for a lot of us. If we really consider the, the, uh, the illustration that we talked about earlier, if Jesus did come in and knock on our door, 
and physically stand right before you and say, all right, what are we going to do today? Let's talk about how things are going to happen. If you can look over your day, you know, arm in arm with Jesus Christ, him riding the car with you, with him showing up to work with you, from him going, going shopping with you, and just going through your day-to-day practices, would that make a difference? Would, would things have to change? And that's what we really have to have an understanding of. And when those things have to change, it means sacrifices. When, those, when sacrifices have, happen, it means it's going to have to cost us something. Things are going to have to be different. You know, Moses has said that he forsook Egypt in order to suffer the affliction. He forsook Egypt, he turned his back on those things, and yet he chose to suffer the affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the sins of the season. We're going to have to make changes to live godly lives. Whenever it comes to reading the Word of God, we're going to have to put other things down in order to make time to do it. For a while, when you take our cell phones and put them down, stop scrolling through Facebook and get into the Word of God. We've got to turn the TV off and look at the Word of God. We've got to turn off the YouTube videos and get into the Word of God. The time that we waste. If we just calculate the time that we waste in a day, the time that we, are, we actually absolutely accomplish nothing, and turn that into a time where we can spend with God and to gain and increase our knowledge and then apply that to our lives and give us the information that we need in order to be obedient to what he has called us to do and to be obedient to his word, we would be on our way to experiencing the very power of God in our lives because we have the knowledge to be obedient. We have the knowledge we have gained to do that. Now Moses has said that he forsook Egypt in order to suffer the affliction with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin because he esteemed the greatness of Christ's riches over anything that Egypt could possibly get in there. So my question is, you know, a lot of times we, the, the, most of the decisions that we make, we make a decision based on what the result is going to be, correct? We, we make a decision based on what we think is going to be a better outcome. But whenever it comes to living a godly life and experiencing the very power of God in obedience, we have, to, we have to have the perspective that Christ's riches are greater than anything that we could possibly gain. We have to understand that we will, we will be more fully fulfilled that we will have a better benefit, that we will come out better when we pick up the Word of God and read it and study it rather than waste time thumbing through Facebook or doing those things that are absolutely worthless. I mean, I'm guilty of it too. Once I get, once I get behind a computer and I get into a, you know, something of interest of me, I mean, it sucks me in. And I waste a lot of time. And I kind of wonder, all that time that I'm wasting... You know, how much more beneficial would it be if I actually took time to live godly and to consider God in that time that I've been wasting? You know, what would look different and how would that happen? But as I said, it, makes, it requires change, it requires consideration, it requires some sacrifices that need to be made on our part. And in, and in getting ready for our invitation, I really want you to consider this one verse. When it comes to living godliness, yes, we see in Second Peter chapter one and verse three, it says, "As His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him who has called us by glory and virtue, by which they have been given us, given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust." We have great precious promises. We have been fully equipped to live our lives in a godly manner. But yes, it does cost some things and it does require us to 
to make adjustments and to make sacrifices. And just as Moses was willing to do that and to forsake Egypt and to suffer, Paul makes this statement here in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6. says, Godliness is great gain. That's not all the verse. Now, how many of y'all believe that godliness is great gain? Godliness truly is great gain, but listen to what he couples godliness with. I didn't read you the whole verse. He said, godliness with contentment is great gain. Is godliness with contentment great gain? What we have to understand is whenever we live in this world, we can't chase two rabbits. We can't chase godliness and try to get the treasures of this world at the same time. Because it has been said, if you try to chase two rabbits, what happens? They both get away. You're going to have to focus on one or the other. You must focus on being godly. You must focus on living a godly lifestyle because in, in understanding that living your life according to what God has called us to do, we need to be content with what God was going to give us. We must be content with where that's going to lead. We must be content with God saying, look, this is where I need you to go. And we can't be looking back and saying, well, you know, I've got all this over here. Can I have both? But Paul is saying here in, second, in 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 6, no, you've got to be content. Godliness with contentment truly is a great gain. So do you want to experience the very power of God in your lives? If you want to experience that power, I truly believe it lies in increasing your knowledge as a Christian and as a believer and living your life out accordingly to what the Word of God says. And I believe then, and only then, will we really get, be able to experience the very power of God in, the, in our lives and also in the lives of those around us. Let's stand, let's have a word of prayer. Father, we want to thank you again for today. We thank you for the truth of your Word. We thank you so much that you are a God who saves and you are a God who keeps us saved and you are a God who does not just leave us alone.